Hello there, Pulsing Black listeners. This is Christine, and today we are here back where it started with my friend, Dr. Shingi Mavima. We are at the end of season one. I can't believe what an amazing, amazing journey this has been. And to arrive at this point is just surreal. Shingi, welcome. Ah, uh, Thank you so much, and congratulations, congratulations on a fantastic season and just my mind is blown and we'll talk about everything shortly but just want to start off by saying congratulations right away thank you thank you so so much the feedback has been amazing the way that people have utilized the content of this podcast has been very enlightening and um, encouraging to me as the person who was charged with this vision. And so I am honestly so grateful to all the feedback that we have received. And I wonder as both a participant in the podcast and a listener, what has been your experience? I have, I have loved it. I have loved it for several different reasons. First of all, on a, on a most basic level, I have loved it because I've seen uh, your vision manifest and there's, that's always a beautiful thing, right? When you see, I, you know, I was fortunate enough just by happenstance to be brought in at the beginning of this whole thing. And, you know, the podcast market, if you will, mm. is, is, is in vogue, right? So everybody is kind of doing some version of this. So it's kind of like, okay, let's see how this goes. And to see how professionally it's been done and the guests who've come on and so forth. It's been so top-notch. It is a podcast that I would listen to if I had no idea who you were and and so forth, and I would love it. So on that, I've really enjoyed it. I've also enjoyed, again, I've mentioned the guests, but some of the people who were on there, I knew, you know, I've known people like like Myra, I've known uh, uh, my friend Amina was on there. Um, I haven't, uh, you know, full, full disclosure, I haven't listened to every episode, but I've listened to maybe 70 or so, 80% of, 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 of it, you know, and just seeing them and some of them I knew when we were still coming up and just hearing the stories they have to tell now, I remember when they were still training to be this or still pretty new to the US or all these different experiences and just seeing them uh, speak on their experiences and maybe they feel that way about, about, about myself as well. Then other, others that I didn't know, of course, uh, just blew my mind. I was listening to the, I can't remember the name, but there was therapist lady from, who was from Jamaica. Yes, Dr. Gunnell. Dr. Gunnell, yeah, that was a great interview. I enjoyed what you did with Rokaya, I believe. That, mm-hmm. that conversation was, was fantastic. And actually, my, my favorite episode, if I may say that, because you can't say that, but I can say that. But uh, my favorite episode was the one I was on. No, I'm just kidding. That was good. But, uh, <laughs> no, the, my favorite episode actually wasn't an interview. It was the one when you were talking about the scarcity. Scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality, yeah, which was. <laughs> and I'll have a few other talking points from there. But other than that, I have really, really enjoyed the podcast. But. I'm going to take the mic away from you right now. Sure. And ask you this, because even before this, we were talking about feedback. But I don't want to center this around feedback, at least not yet. How do you feel it went? If you never heard anything about the podcast, how do you feel it went? Man, um, 
the greatest thing that happened was a reprieve of my guests having a space they could fully be themselves and where their stories unedited and unfiltered were welcome. Mm. They did not have to code switch. There was a sense of rest. There was a sense of honor. There was a sense of you are welcome because you were actually personally invited. You, the space was created for you in your absence to make sure that your story had enough light to shine the way you wanted to shine. And I don't think our people often get that opportunity in the spaces they occupy in the Western world. And so I think to find a place where they were matched with a professional of their caliber, of their you know, intellect, of their cultural heritage um, or, or their race, let's say, I think it was a blessing. So much so that after recording most of the episodes, I found myself held in a beautiful hostage situation where they wanted to continue getting to know one another. But because I was the host of the platform we were recording, I had to sit in it while they continued to get to know one another. And it got to a point where I'd be like, you know what, you guys exchange phone numbers, please, and take this offline because, but it was a beautiful thing to see the need to want to stay connected to their co-guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so deeply touched. I could not have predicted that. Wow. So, and this is something that our listeners uh, may not know just across the board because, and I'll tell you why I feel that may be the case because of the rapport that it seemed to happen. Some folks may legit think that the guests come together. Can you tell us a little bit about how the guests ended up on your, on your, on your, cause I think it's what you're getting at right now, but how did the, how did these pairs end up on your, on your, on your, on your, on your podcast? Absolutely. So myself being um, only five years old in West Michigan, where I was sourcing the majority of my guests, um, I knew that that would be a blind spot um, in me alone, not being able to have enough contacts in my Rolodex to populate the season. So what I did is I created a spreadsheet where I entered different professions. And I said, I would like to interview people in as many of these professions who hold an African-American identity or a black immigrant identity, no more than two generations, mm-hmm. um, no more than a two generation um, identity of immigrant status. And so I then called upon some friends who I knew were connected in the community. And I said, hey, help me populate this spreadsheet with names of people I can invite onto this show. And so that's how I got to meet a lot of these people. And to be honest, on the day of recording, a lot of us met each other for the first time. And so for the dialogues to flow as smoothly as they did for people who had only met each other goes to show the unity of our experiences. I don't have to have had a history with you. I don't have to have served on a board with you. I don't have to have gone to a place of worship with you. We don't have to be neighbors. We don't even have to have come from the same background. Mm -hmm. We know that in America as black people, we hold very similar experiences. Mm -hmm. And that being the foundation of the show allowed people unbeknown to one another to curate a, a, a body of work that was very cohesive to the listener. Absolutely. Wow. 
and I'm just thinking through this as well. I'm as you're saying all this, it's bringing back like a flood of memories from you know, because I've forgotten some of the moments I listened to and I enjoyed. But as you describe it, I'm like, okay, yeah, this reminds me of this moment. And one trope that I found that speaks to this is, in almost every episode I listen to, there is a moment in which yeah, it, 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 there's such a gelling, right? Where it's like, yeah, this is exactly what I went through, or this is exactly what my family is like, where after another guest has spoken and it serves as a pivot for, for another one. And I was surprised that even on my, in my interview that happened and it happened right towards the end because I was thinking like, uh, I love this po uh, the poet I was with, Ray Day. Yes. But I was thinking, yeah, I think our experiences are so fundamentally different. Then... In the end, as we were talking about our processes and, and things, there was just a moment when we delved and they're like, okay, there it is. There, there, yep. <laughs> there we are. This is where you come together. And even as you were talking about growth and listening to people you knew when you were coming up as young professionals or students, um, for me, what is interesting that people understand if they haven't already is despite your growth professionally, mm -hmm. socially, emotionally, your black experience doesn't change. Mm -hmm. We know people that are going through oppressive conditions, discrimination at very high levels of their professional status. Right. So the college student, by the way, you know, there's an episode with college students. I mm -hmm. mean, if I were to interview them 10 years from now, mm -hmm. you know, and say, how has your professional growth contributed to how you experience life as a black person, mm -hmm. I want our listeners to pay attention or do some reflection on what that answer would be. And therein, lie, and therein lies the change that we need to see happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So as we think about this, Kristen, and I, uh, just uh, for our viewers, uh, for our listeners, sorry, uh, full disclosure, as we are recording this, there's a couple episodes in this season that still haven't been recorded. So in case you hear, by the time you listen to this, some things are not brought up that come up later. That's the reason why. But I wanted to ask you if you can be specific. I'm not going to ask you about favorite episodes because I'm sure every episode was your favorite. <laughs> what are some of your favorite moments, if you will? What comes to mind that you think like, I'm going to remember this. So, I'm, you know, this, this was such a light bulb or such an exciting or such a profound moment mm. what are some of them i think one moment that i i remember is from the first episode where i was describing my journey and remembering the young girl in my middle school cafeteria trying to save me from the table with white children so i could sit at the table with black children mm -hmm. and wondering how black children process race and it's only now that I'm seeing books that talk about race to children because um, a lot of Black families started talking about race to their young boys after mm -hmm. Trayvon Martin was killed in Florida. And um, even a lot of Black immigrant families kind of had an awakening during that time, like, hey, we need to talk to our sons, especially about um it, it, how they, they govern themselves um, with law enforcement. So it, it really challenged me because which parent wants to talk to their child about why they are unfavorably treated in the community? Like, 
how do you expect a young child's growing mind to process that? Um, so that was one moment. Um, another moment was the two episodes we recorded, one with um, higher education professors, Dr. Johnson and Dr. Bonaparte Hagos, as well as the one I conducted um, with um, uh, two college students. Um, the college experience is where um, a lot of Black immigrants first experience race. And it made me think about the makeup of college administration. When it pertains to students, um, I know there's an international student advisor mm -hmm. in a lot of schools. And I don't know the kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion training those advisors have, because for some reason, being the bridge between those um, international students and their campus life, I'm not sure how much preparation they give them, if any, about the socialization they need to succeed on that college campus. What I have heard most often is that there is no conversation. So if anything, because their services are isolated from those that govern um, the interactions and socializations of African-American students, they are almost conditioned to think and believe that they are different, only to get to the workplace and realize they really are not. And by then they have no allies. Mm. And mm. so their success in the corporate world is stunted in the beginning of their career if they get to stay in the United States right. and they don't have the support they need mm. in order to socialize in a healthy way within the black racial identity. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say the mental health episode. Um, the mental health episode was very revealing about how we experience mental health growing up, how it shapes our interaction with it as adults, and how well supported our communities are to um, engage with our feelings, which most of the time are quite traumatic. Mm -hmm. To that end, I appreciated a comment that was made or a quote that was stated by Great Dane in your episode where they said that, hey, I would want people to humanize my experience when I say I lost somebody near and dear to me and it was not to violence. Mm. We actually mm. lose people to all other matters of that contribute to death that other people's losses are humanized for, but ours are not. Mm -hmm. So those were the highlights for me. Wow, man. And again, as, as you talk about these things, these are just bringing back a flood uh, of, of, of memories indeed. Yeah, so, and, and the mental health episode is actually the last one that I listened to before, before I came on to here. And I, I, one of the things that stood out to me and I'll, you know, we can bounce uh, this sort of, I'll bring this up. One of the key things that came out of that conversation for me was, there was a moment in which, and actually when it came up earlier in the, I think it might've been you speaking or, or the other guests speaking, and they said this, I was like, you know, I kind of cringed a little bit, but I was so glad that the other guests problematized that immediately after that, which was the concept of, of normal, right? When we talk about something was normal and, you know, I was just a normal, you know, and um, so what are some concepts like that, 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 you, that you feel like some, uh, some nuggets of, or like some terms that have come up? And I think you started to get at it with, 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 with Great Dane. But there were little moments like that, that, you know, little 
ideas that that I thought stood out. Are there are there any other such ideas that stood out to you that that you you take away from this? Yes, I think and if I won't name the person, but they are a listener and they may listen and I hope they recognize that this is about them. I recently told a friend who is of African American descent and is struggling with the job market. They've been applying for jobs for a while. They're quite frustrated with with not being called for interviews and things like that, which we know the job market right now is quite difficult. A lot of very highly qualified individuals have found themselves on um, the unemployment line due to the pandemic. But I said something to them that I would like to publicly apologize for because I said, to me, America is a place where you can work. It's a place where even if you don't like the job, you can get a job. And I I'm sorry to say that is my immigrant lens. America is a place you can work, you know, just get a job. Why aren't you working? And it's it's that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. this is from me as an African immigrant telling an African American friend who confided in me their difficulty in the job market. Mind you, I just came from the unemployment line. I've not, right. you know, <laughs> so, but understanding that we still have work to do. Even I, who is doing the work, I'm not immune to my implicit bias of the system <laughs> that we are living in here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just because all I ever know is work, 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 work in the context of that which I saw my parents do in a country where we were not as oppressed, which we then adapted when we came here, is Mm -hmm. not the same as somebody who has been oppressed in ways I can't imagine for multiple generations. Okay, so I'm only 20 years old in this game of, you know, racialized America, right? Mm -hmm. This is a person who has hundreds of years in the bank because experiences of his ancestors are what he is a product of. Mm -hmm. And so it could have been seen as insensitive on my part to say, bro, just get a job, just get any job, pay your bills. What you talking about? That is insensitive. Because we are not just a job. We are not just a a paycheck. We are a people who are not supposed to be expected, although we often are, to leave our lived experiences in all facets of of our life at the door when we enter our corporate office. Mm-hmm. And that was insensitive on my part. And for that person, and they'll know who they are, I will point them to this episode. I am sorry. And mm-hmm. I have work to do. And I want to support you by first understanding your lived experience and your relationship with, with workplaces. Maybe there is a trauma they have experienced that hinders what kind of jobs they can work. Right? Mm-hmm. So... For that, I want to tell our listeners, the work is not a destination, it is a journey. It's a journey. Yes, people have to continue putting one foot in front of the other, making apologies that are necessary to Mm. continue building relationships through which we can do the work. You will have to say sorry many times. Do not embark on social justice work if you are not somebody okay with the word sorry. Mm. Wow. Ah. Christy, I, this all this really blows my mind, and 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 listen, this is w- what it immediately takes me to when you talk about when you're talking about this conversation with you with your friend. 
it takes me again. I've already mentioned that the scarcity mentality was my was well was uh, one of the standout episodes for me. But if there was one thing that I struggled with, and it, it dovetails perfectly into what you're talking about here, mm-hmm. is because you set it up perfectly and talking about scarcity in different ways. Mm-hmm. But as the episode went on, it became a lot about. And again, you, it can go in any direction, right? But just from where I was standing, it became a lot about money, you know, which is very, very important. But, you know, but as I listened to it, because it wasn't a long episode, because uh, partly because you were by yourself, and maybe if you had been bouncing it off of somebody else, they could, you know, uh, you know, it would have gone that direction. But, you know, it, it got to a point when I was like, okay, but what about these other scarcities, though? And uh, can, can we talk on that as well? Because I feel... Um, as, as, as the black community, it is especially here, it is very important that we be in this fight for, for economic and financial stability as well. Mm-hmm. But we've also been able to find satisfaction in, in different things, right? Or, and, or, and, and those things are often beaten out of us as well. So can we, can we, can we reflect on that a little bit? So when you're telling me about your friend, it, 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 uh, it sounds very much like a default place to go to, right? Like, yo, let's let's get this money and right. and then as as sort of a liberation for for black people. But we know it's a little more nuanced than that. Mm. Um, which and I've 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 a series of terms that I've written here. Um, I want to talk about your concept of which I heard you mention. I just blew my mind of uh, building a plane as I fly it. Mm. <laughs> Uh, tell me a little bit about more about that because I feel like you just kind of mentioned it in that interview, the cultivating interview with Rokaya, I believe. Yeah. But then, yeah, what is that about? So, in in the lives we lead, a lot of times we don't have a generational head start to building wealth. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to learn to build wealth as you try to make your money, invest your money all at the same time. Whereas other people have had investments endowed to them, which they have, have given them a head start to climbing the real estate market, becoming homeowners at a young age. Um, And so they're not working their job, putting away at their Roth, paying their Mm -hmm. mortgage, doing all these things all at the same time. Sometimes you're only able to do one at a time. Maybe you build your Roth, but you didn't own your home until much later. Maybe you own your home, but you have no Roth. Maybe you, you know what I mean? Because you're working, paying bills, investing, paying for retirement, paying your mortgage. Because for a lot of us, none of this was handed to us. If you're an immigrant, sometimes migrating the journeys um, of the length we do it disrupts your network and your network is your net worth. Mm. And so back to even, you know, centering money when it comes to scarcity mentality, the Mm. more money you have, of course, you know, you're going to have a more comfortable life, but you're also going to get more invitations to tables where decisions are being made that affects other aspects of your life Mm. um, Mm. and people like you's life. And so it reduces the scarcity mentality in other places if you have the money. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, I always quote my dad. I always say, you know, my dad may never have to write an autobiography because I quote him all the time. If you want to know <laughs> what my dad's life was about, you just have to talk to me a few minutes. But my dad used to tell us when we complain about a job, complain about a boss, he used to say, until you write a contract and not sign one that was designed in your absence, shut up and sign the dotted line and work the job, okay? Right. If you're not going to be at the table designing a contract, there is no contract that's made in the presence of the person who will sign it. That's okay. counterintuitive in business. Right. It is not your employer's responsibility to take care of all your needs. Mm -hmm. They have a business to run and they will run it at the lowest cost to increase their profit margin. I mm -hmm. wish we all just took business 101 as a prerequisite for any degree you'll ever do because mm -hmm. it helps you understand the business world and understand that your hiring or firing or promotion or demotion is business. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have to ask yourself at every venture, are you good for business? Take it out of business world and put it in the context of health, housing, food insecurity, anything. They're all businesses. So is a decision to allocate more housing to low-income families a good business move or mm. not? And for who and for how long and at what cost? Right. So if you understand business fundamentals, you will understand how things work until you are the one writing the contract. Right, right. If they're to sign the contract, yes, counter offer, do what you have to do, but understand your employer can only do so much because they wrote it in your absence for a reason. They have a business to protect. Right. And trust me, if you don't sign the dotted line, there are others behind you who will. Hmm. And hmm. it's not personal. Right. So when it comes to scarcity mentality, we are conditioned to think that racially, there is not enough room for more than one of us in a space or that the success of one detracts from the other. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we take it to a, a, an unhealthy extreme that I mentioned that even though you and I are not in the same sector, I don't tell you about opportunities that could progress you mm -hmm. because I am threatened by what your success would mean if it is not the same or more success that I have. Right. And I think we need to unlearn that and recondition ourselves to have an, a, a mentality of abundance. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, we are not going to come together to do much. We are all doing different things and probably reinventing the wheel all over the place. Right, right, right. We need to do better. Absolutely. But understand we have to have economic empowerment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I say to my sister, look at what mom and dad were able to do for us in 19 years in America. Mm -hmm. We still have great student loan. If we do nothing else, let's set up ourselves so our kids don't have student loan. And right. if that's all we do for them, I may not buy all my kids, the you know, a house. Yeah. I may not buy all of, you know, but if they don't have student loan, they can buy their own. They house. can do that. Yeah, pretty right? easy. Mm -hmm. So how can we always move one notch up to setting up the next generation to greater economic empowerment? So maybe mm -hmm. three, four generations from now, my great, great grandkids can sit at a table where they're making decisions mm -hmm. and not being sent a newsletter to inform them of the decisions that were made in their absence mm -hmm. that affect their life. You're right. And that is, wow. And that is so powerful and so much packed in that, in that alone. 
And I was struck by the part when you were talking about the, the unlearning, mm. because I felt that there was another side to that coin that, where I feel like we also need to unlearn this. Part of the important thing we need to unlearn is, as you're saying, this idea of jostling for, for, for opportunities in such a way that we become the, the obstacle to, to, to each other, even mm. when, when, we are not, when we are not in competition, right? The flip side of that though, is I think we also need to unlearn once we appreciate the, the, the essence of, of economic uplift and the sort of economic affirmation, we need to uh, unlearn as well the, the idea of getting our people's expertise for, for free or undercutting it, right? That's the flip of that. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be in your way, but also recognize that this thing that you're asking me to do, that, that's, 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 my, that's my come up. That's my, that's my security right there. And if I do it for free, which I very well may decide to do it, I need you to do it with the understanding that it's as good as me having given you money. <laughs> you know, that, that's... Absolutely. That's, you know, and I say this because I've been struggling uh, with, uh, with somebody from my childhood who, 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 who expect, expects that kind of thing. And I can almost feel like this, you've changed, man, sort of attitude when I say, like, I can't... Yeah, yeah, you want me to write something for you and I'm very good at it and probably enjoy it a little more than you do, but they pay me money to do this elsewhere, you know, like good right. money. Right. So when you send me something in the middle of the night and in 24 hours you're tripping because I haven't done it, chill, you know, right. I, I need to understand that this is, I, I, yeah, not to, but I mean, I'm just thinking about it in terms of this economic, uh, I think that is valid. We have an expectation of not paying for goods or services or being extended deep discounts because mm -hmm. of the color of our skin, not understanding that this same skin is the reason we are underpaid in most of our ventures that we do commercially. Mm -hmm. So therefore, why do you want to contribute to that system? And I have been a very recent student of this, not that I had the, the opportunities or was asking people for things I didn't want to pay for, or couldn't pay for. But um, I think I have learned by saying I'm a new student is that I have learned ways, even though I don't have a lot of money, to show people that I honor their time. There mm. is nothing wrong with telling your friend, Dr. Mavima, I know I cannot afford your services. I have $100 here, which I can give you or donate to a charity of your choice in mm. honor of this help, but I need your help. Or could you please refer me to somebody you mentor who would be able to help me at my price point? Mm. And mm. once you say that, more than likely, your good friend will say, you know what? I support the NAACP chapter of Grand Rapids. Send that $100 donation in my mm. honor. I'll do this. Mm. Because again, under, if you... If you lead with honor, mm -hmm. you will get way more, you'll get further, even if you don't have the money. And okay. I'm not saying go and tell everybody, hey, I honor you. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm just saying acknowledge that this is their intellectual property. Acknowledge that their hour has a price tag on it. And if you can't afford that hour of, of their time, then say what you can and, and ask if you can contribute that to a, to a mission of an organization they hold near and dear. They'll say, hey, I have a project I do back home. 
in, mm. in Zimbabwe to help children, why don't you make the check out to them? I would greatly appreciate it, yeah, right? Absolutely. So that way they are contributing to something you also have, are invested in and, and there is mutual benefit there. But I think we have, a, yeah, we, we do have um, an, a misconception there because we inadvertently continue to contribute to what is a very inequitable system that places mm. us at the bottom of the, you know, of the compensation totem pole when it comes to our intellectual property. We have Absolutely. to be mindful of that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. And you know, when, 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 when I get together with you, I, you know, we could, we could talk all day. So I want to make sure that I, that I keep the main thing, the main thing here. So season one has happened. Uh, and we have, uh, let's talk a little bit about, I want to talk about, I've got maybe three or four more questions that I want to get to. Before we started, you were sort of briefing me on some of the feedback and you actually opened this episode by talking about some of the feedback you've received. And I'm very interested in learning, this is Pulsing Black and it's been centered on the global Black community, uh, but also with an emphasis on, 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 on Black America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you received any feedback from outside of Black America? So that could be White America, or that could be uh, Kenya or, or, or the UK or, or these other spaces where, what, what's the feedback you've received from, from these other spaces? Sure. So in these other spaces or in other countries where our podcast has been listened to, which so far last time I looked at analytics, um, I saw that we have listenership in, of course, the United States, um, the United Kingdom, Canada, Cameroon, Nigeria, the Philippines, Belize, Kenya. Did I miss anybody? And I think Ghana. Okay. And so I got some feedback from Canadian friends who said, you know, I have been really struggling to communicate my lived experiences here to people back home because mm-hmm. I feel the pressure and the weight of being the one from my family who lives here who is seen in a position of privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you can't have privilege and have pain coexist, mm-hmm. but it does. We know it does. And so they didn't have the words to, to put into messages for family and friends to express their hardships in what are all the nuances you speak of, of our racial identity. I had people from um, Kenya, my family and close friends say, you know, I really didn't understand the depth of the Black experience in the West. Of course, the recent so, uh, civil rights uprising helped because there was great visibility to that which is no longer an issue we can deny or sweep under the rug in fact the rug was burnt so (laughs) figuratively and so um those people now understand what we must go through and they deeply empathize with that which they see or perceive to be our perceived to be our successes in the west and to understand what we must go through to achieve those perceived successes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting that my European friends also said, girl, you hit the nail on the head. The Black experience in the West is almost universal. Mm. In the sense that these nuances to a, a spectrum of how bold and, um, and out there they are, they are the same. 
Right. Oh, I had a friend, actually Nigeria was one of the countries that we have listenership because my friend sent the podcast to family in Nigeria. She has, mm. she was like, this is the best. I've heard this situation explained in a way that people can understand it. Wow. And the fact that we capitalize the conversation in professionalism contexts, not social contexts. I just told and asked my, 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 my guests, to talk about their professional journey um, and a little bit about their, their, their growing up, but we centered it on professionalism. And, I, and that was deliberate because I wanted people to see, first of all, Black people are accomplished. Hello, all the professionals represented yeah. on this podcast. We are accomplished. We are well-spoken. We are polished people of virtue. And so we are not the stereotype. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not the monolith. We are very dynamic and we are powerful. So even for people back home, and by back home, I mean outside of the Western world right. in Africa, um, they they got to see an, a, a small peak of our lives outside of their post-colonial lenses through which they view our experiences in, in addition to all the stereotypes they get from the media. Right, 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 right. Wow. Yeah. All right, so to, you know, as, as we close out here, one, and, and I guess I can ask the two questions as, as a two in one. What do you think could have gone better hmm. in season one? And with that in mind, what does season two have in store for us? Wow, season one, let's see. Um, I wish we didn't have to record the podcast during times of social distancing. I wish I would have had the opportunity to meet some of my guests in person because a lot of them needed big hugs after their episode. I was asking a lot of them emotionally and mentally to relive parts of their experiences that they don't tap into on a daily basis. I wish I could have been able to have more intentional ways to extend love and care to them in those very moments instead of each of us being in an enclosed space, isolated from one another. And yeah, that was the greatest hardship. Of course, I think um, like any any uh, grassroots operation, you always hope you had more money for the project. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to all the potential sponsors and grants, uh, grant funding organizations that are interested in posting Black Shameless plug. But yes, you always wish you had more money just for the technical aspects. There is nobody... I can afford to pay for their stories. I will say that as we're talking about um, uh, monetizing our services, there are not, there is not one story in in that season, in season one, that I could have afforded anybody's narrative. These are people's beautiful, beautiful lived experiences. And those stories belong in a museum, to be honest. We should have a museum where you go with headphones and you plug in and you hear these stories. And that is actually my my biggest dream is to have this podcast adapted into a museum because we need our children to see what Black, all the Black experiences are and they're different and they're beautiful. And not just that, speaking of who needs to see, everybody needs to see. For anybody listening to this and was wondering if they are the target audience of this podcast. This podcast is by Black people, but for all. We want everybody to understand our story, but for for this particular situation, have it come from our mouth. A lot of our stories are not told by us. Right, okay? right, right. That's the biggest issue. So when you put 
the, the charge of telling our stories in the hands of an executive team that doesn't have representation of our racial group, you fall into the risk of our stories not being told as they were. So this is an opportunity for anybody who wants an authentic Black experience or an account of Black experiences to plug in. It is for one and all. Season two, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Season two, I think we'll look into perhaps the elevation of our stories, but now talking about tangible change. What can we do now? We, Mm -hmm. we, We know what our stories are. We know our truth. And furthermore, who can join us in the movement? I want to have a show that helps inform those who want to take the position and the responsibility of allyship for the Black community to Mm -hmm. have tangible ways in which we have seen successful allyship bring about change. So I will probably be calling on to people who have lived experiences where their life was taken from one reality to another because of the effect of change that happened that was, you know, we may not say systemic, perhaps institutional change, perhaps, you know, um, organizational change and things like that, um, that they can point to and say, this is something in my lifetime or that of somebody who has given me firsthand account that has happened that resulted in a better quality of life for me as a Black person in in the United States. So Mm -hmm. those are along the lines um, that we we can perhaps take this vision. But of course, I am a person who responds to her environment and I'm not sure between now and what I anticipate to be another Thanksgiving release date. I think Thanksgiving or you know end of November is a good time. It's right about the holidays and people are preparing to have downtime that mm-hmm. we can uh, release content. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so exciting and so much to think about in the interim. And I can tell you as, as a fan of the show that that period in which we'll be waiting for season two is going to be painstaking (laughs) it's going to be a tough wait but we look forward to season two and in closing you know one of the terms that you used in describing i think it was describing your folks was our sacrificial superheroes Mm. such a beautiful term and i don't want to compare apples to oranges here but i also want to acknowledge your heroism to us in doing this show and giving us this platform and getting these conversations going. Like you're saying, you know, this does belong in a museum and, you know, and the, the global uh, listenership already kind of points to that. And that's just, that's just beautiful to see. And I hope this continues to grow. I know it will continue to grow. Uh, God blessing the work of your hands and, 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 and so forth. So yeah, thank you so much for this, Kristin. And I'll let you have the last word in closing out uh, this, uh, this meeting and with that, this season as a whole. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being along the journey, Shingi. I really, really appreciate you. A huge, huge, huge thank you to all my mentors and all the guests and our producer, shout out to Cece, our logo designer, Alika, anybody who played a role or had a hand in the preparation, the mentorship of myself or invitation of our guests. I thank you deeply from my heart. And I would just like to say in between the time that season one ends and season two premieres, 
You don't have to wait in anticipation. There is work to do. Share the episodes that captured you with those that are near and dear to you. Use them as a bridge to form relationships between you and other Black people, um, whether you're Black or not, just people who have a different lived experience than you. If you had a difficult experience in 2020 and even in early 21, 2021 as we record this with having discourse on racial matters, this podcast is a great starting place on how um, in-depth this matter goes and it, it really can serve as a piece of awareness that may not have been there before between you and those that you hope to join you on your journey to equity. So it's not downtime. Class is still in session. It is a journey. We don't get to stop at the rest area and never come out of the rest area. Take time when you need it because this is heavy stuff to some, but keep going, keep going because we can't afford you to die on the journey to equity because we need you to survive so that change can happen. So thank you to everybody that has been supporting um, this podcast, that has left feedback, that has been sharing with your networks. I thank you deeply. And with that, I am so excited to say that season one is officially wrapped up. And I will see you end of November 2021 at the launch of season two. Thank you for listening. This has been Christine, your host of the Pulsing Black podcast, signing out.